Today I'm talking to Bill Fendel of Telluride Sotheby's International Realty. I'm going to run through a long list of accomplishments that he has received, awards he's received throughout his career that are just astonishing. But before I do that, make sure you listen to what he's accomplished and make sure you understand this is one of the most giving, authentic brokers I might have worked with. and came from, you know, a regular middle class background, somewhat humble beginnings, and has really accomplished things that he was told could never be done. But on that, I wanted to say that before I run through this long list of accomplishments that he's made, so you just really get this is a real guy showing us that if he can do it, any of us can. He ranks among the top 38 at Sotheby's International Realty of the brokers in the country. He is recognized by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top 250 real estate brokers in the U.S. He's ranked number 11. He's been ranked number 38. He's been ranked number, I think, 100. Um, over the years. He ranks number three in Colorado. He has taken part in a series of record-setting transactions in his region. He has twice been named Telluride's Realtor of the Year. He's received the President's Award for his commitment to the Telluride Association of Realtors. And he's a frequent guest panelist for the Sotheby's International Realty Global Networking Events. He is a guest contributor to Forbes Magazine, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, LA Times, among other famous publications on the topic of luxury real estate. I'm excited to share what this generous, incredibly successful real estate agent has to offer us in this interview. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast is to share knowledge for realtors and raise awareness for Give Back Homes, where real estate professionals work together for social good. Jet Centers Aviation, Bentley Atlanta, Legends Global, thank you for your sponsorship. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have Bill Fandel. He's from the Telluride office in Sotheby's International Realty. He is one of the top luxury real estate agents in the world. He's been recognized by the Wall Street Journal. He's been recognized by the um, LA Times. He's a frequent guest on the global networking, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting what I'm saying, but on the global networking event for Sotheby's International Realty. Um, He's been named number 13 in Colorado. He's been named top 38 in the country. I mean, the, the the awards and recognitions go on and on for this guy. So really excited to talk to you today, Bill. And tell us a little bit about how you got into the business in the first place. Well, nice to be here with you, Jerry. I, I feel fortunate to join the, the ranks of the people you've hosted here already and, and the host uh, yourself. So um, how did I get started in the business? Well, I grew up in New England. I, I'm I'm based in Telluride, Colorado, but I, I grew up in New England uh, where I was raised and went to school and uh, always had a natural curiosity about real estate. And uh, I was a middle, upper middle class kid and uh, surrounded by these grand old estates in the outlying areas of the town I grew up in. And I think that was a real point of curiosity for me. But in terms of how I actually entered the business, when I was in Telluride, one of the first real jobs I had, I got a job answering phones uh, at a real estate office, very humble beginnings. Um, but it got my foot in the door and gave me an appreciation what was, you know, what was, uh, what the industry looked like. And, um, and, and for 
the first several years where I really felt like I could become a luxury broker. I worked for a family on Martha's Vineyard during the summer. So I used to spend winters in Telluride, summers on Martha's Vineyard, worked for a family there, and they owned the premier brokerage on the island. And I worked at their hotel, and I would my job was to meet and greet people at the hotel. And I would frequently, they would ask about real estate, and I would sashay them right over to the real estate office. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is something I could do. Yeah. And uh, You and, kind of you were. Know, you were making the introductions, yeah. which is such a big part of it. Yeah. So anyway, that uh, that was the way in, and it, it, it just took off from there. One thing led to another. Marketing led to sales. Sales led to, you know, listings, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. But it's been a good run. I've been with Sotheby's. Uh, Sotheby's since 2001. So I've been with the the Sotheby's International Realty brand for a long time. And it's a big part of my business that we'll be discussing today. Wow, that's huge. So what did so what was your career before real estate? Because obviously you kind of did you start in real estate or did you have a career yeah, before real estate? You know, I went, um, you know, I had a, like a lot of kids. I had I always had jobs growing up, but uh, most of them were, you know, odd jobs up through college. And uh, I, I started out in the lodging side, hotels and lodging. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that first real estate job where I was answering phones, I, I was 23 years old. So I uh, prior to that, I was I worked at golf courses, cutting greens. I worked uh, driving a shuttle. I, you know, I always had jobs and always made money, but, um, it was my first uh, professional job, I would say. Wow. That's incredible. Much my entire, entire. And how long, so you joined Sotheby's International Realty in 2001. When did you actually start your real estate career? Um, Let's see, 2001. I I I got my first job, as I said, at 23. So that'd be 27 years ago. I was with a company that ultimately morphed into the Sotheby's International Realty firm here. Um, but really, my my big the big break I got. I was hired by a development company to handle their marketing, um, the marketing of this new project that had never been taken on. It was the first private residence club in the United States, which subsequently Ritz Carlton adopted in Four Seasons. And I was given a job to, you know, generate clients for them. Mm-hmm. And it, we were incredibly successful in that venture. And as part of that they paid for me to go get my broker's license. In the state of Colorado, everyone is a broker. We don't have agency. We have, everybody's a broker. So um, that was a big, that was a big plus, you know, to get, to get that, to get that paid for and get the support. And so I went to work for that project subsequently as a, as a on-site broker. And it was a great start for me. Huge experience. And how many, did you do that until 2001 when you joined Sotheby's? Yeah, well, I, uh, that project led to another project where I was the kind of the on-site um, on-site sales agent, which which you're familiar with. I think you you sold uh, vacant land for builders. Yeah, if I remember. Yeah, good memory. So That's how I started. Yeah. Yeah, and I was working for these developers. You know, as they were launching these new projects in Telluride, I'd be the on-site broker. So I'd have my sales office on-site, meet and greet, and it was a great. I, I frequently encourage, encourage um, new agents as if they want to get a start in the business, because the client, you know, the, the the developers are paying for the marketing mm-hmm. and they're generating clientele, and it also gives you a chance to get in front of people and talk to a lot of people and learn a lot about questions and answers in the sales process. Exactly. So I went, 
I went through three or four different projects. And then finally, I had a big, big enough database where clients were asking me to, to market their properties outside of those uh, outside of the subject, you know, projects that I was working on. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of morphed into its own thing. Wow. And so do you think that happened around 2001 or when did that go down? Yeah, that was uh, late 90s. Okay. Uh, I think my last project I worked on was 2001. And I've, I've still taken on large projects uh, throughout the course of my career um, as their listing broker, mm-hmm. um, but never been on an on-site sales team again. You know, it was a great experience. Um, and it certainly made me very familiar with how to do that well. But I think it also helped me understand the selling process in the more traditional listing and selling, you know, model. And the marketing and what marketing works, because these guys are paying for it. It's got to work. Yeah, they had huge budgets. They had huge budgets, which which were fun to play with. Um, but at the same time, what I, what is proven out over the course of time is, you know, hyper-targeted initiatives mm-hmm. always work. Wow. That's when that's key. It, I love what you just said, hyper-targeted initiatives for us as listing agents of resale to keep in mind is not to be quite so broad, but targeted and make sure our money's going somewhere and closing deals and making money. So when you went from on-site to re kind of resell or working more independently you did that kind of parallel with your transition into Sotheby's international realty or with you and other brokerage before that well I was very successful brokerage within the company but I was big on branding Mm -hmm. and uh, the owner of our of our firm at the time didn't really understand that as well you know he was much more focused on uh different uh, different models of client generation. I was very important as this market, as the the ski resort markets became more and more sophisticated. I knew that that we had to grow our business with the clients. You know, mm-hmm. the clients were were more sophisticated. What they expected in terms of marketing was more sophisticated. And I, when I was growing up in New England, interestingly enough, I I went to a uh, a boys school, Jesuit boys school in the city. So I was around the city all the time. And I used to see the Sotheby's sign uh, right in the center of Boston and the yeah. Sotheby's international realty sign. So I was familiar with the the brand uh, from, you know, from my teens and 20s. And we had one of the the first um, affiliates out here in, uh, in Telluride for Sotheby's. Wow. And they, they, yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting story in the sense that as Telluride grew, it was actually based out of Aspen. And they used to bring clients over here from Aspen to look at Telluride as an alternative. So anyways, I went to work for them in 2001. And it, it to grow my business, very mm-hmm. specifically, to grow my listing business, I felt the Sotheby's brand was a, a better fit for my clients than who I was with before. So I'd love to talk about when you when you broke in, and I, I might know too much about you. I don't want to skip over anything important because I just some of the things you've done with your business, and I'll pause for a moment and let everyone know how you and I, well, we met two ways. We met at one Sotheby's International Realty at a big conference there, and then that evolved, and we met again at an event you actually put together and brought real estate agents together with a business coach in Santa Barbara where we all masterminded. And you, I mean, just incredible. And then we had tours of Ellen DeGeneres' house, another beautiful home in Santa Barbara listed 
you know, the first one was listed for $49 million. Another beautiful home with a view and a pool on the market for $29 million. You took us around to show us estates. But, I mean, really digging deep and into the, into the Sotheby's brand. But that's how we met. But I want to go kind of a little bit before that. In when you went into Sotheby's, I'd like to hear about... You've talked. We've talked about how you broke. You were in Telluride. You're in the market, but you're kind of you were a little bit isolated there. So rather than sit around and wait for the business, you went and got it. But elaborate onto this, or maybe we'll, I, the question I would ask you if I didn't know that answer would be, what is your best lead generating tool, or how do you generate business in Telluride? Well, that's a good uh, that's a good segue because for those listening who don't know where Telluride is. It's it's an isolated ski resort. It's very a dramatic setting, but it's, you know, even today after it's evolved, it still is f- over 40 miles from the nearest stoplight. So it's, it's isolated in the San Juan mi- mountains Southwest of Aspen. And it's known, it, it kind of was grew as a, as a ski resort and has become a, a year round resort, very small, uh, very high end place. So I, I came here in my in my twenties. Um, but in terms of growing the business, I always knew, you know, these clients were coming from all over the world, but we had these distinctively long off seasons where, you know, seven, seven months, eight months of the year, it could be quiet here. So I learned early on, in addition to the marketing I was doing on the ground here, that I had to take my show on the road. Mm-hmm. So, uh, beginning in the kind of mid two thousands, I would say, I um, began to travel to the feeder markets um, where I knew at any given moment the demographic that was feeding the business here was based out of, you know, for example, Dallas, uh, Houston, New York, Boston, San Francisco. I mean, markets where consistently we had uh, clientele coming here and buying homes. My own roadshow where I went to each of these um, locations, I would I would contact the uh, managing broker in advance of my arrival, and uh, I would go and make presentations at the Sotheby's offices during their sales meetings on Telluride. Mm-hmm. And it was a way to not only make my my own name synonymous with the Sotheby's international brand, but also with Telluride in terms of a location. And I tried to focus on, you know, look, we're, we're real estate agents and brokers. We have a notoriously short attention mm-hmm. span. <laughs> Right. visually and uh and then become the go-to for clients uh, for those for those agents out of those offices and that was a big consciousness raising effort on my own part it's kind of guerrilla marketing but it's become a huge part of my business in terms of referrals both coming in to my business here people like yourself who right. are clients but also go in the other direction where clients be, realizes that I have these uh, contacts everywhere and who might be the best person that can help me in Buckhead or who can be the person who can help me in Highland Park in Texas. So exactly. That was a big part of the business. That's huge. I mean, you could, but when you listen, the effort and time it took to go and travel around the country to do that's huge. But on the flip side of that, it's like, don't sit around and wait for it to come to you. And there's so many different things that you can do. And I would love, you know, so on the one end, you're going out and getting business and recruiting it back into Telluride. But even within that Telluride market, you are so synonymous with, you're branded yourself, but you've also aligned yourself with the Sotheby's brand. 
And mm-hmm. I think you, you, I've heard you say again and again, make yourself synonymous with the Sotheby's brand. When think of, when your sphere thinks about Sotheby's, they think about mm-hmm. Bill Fandel in Telluride, and even and, you know, in general. Is, it, so, in fairness to the to the, uh, you know, there's a lot of good. We have a small town, so just to give you a sense of how competitive it is here, there's 2,800 year-round residents in in Telluride, very small and there's city. nearly 200 real, 200 real estate agents. Wow. So it's it's yeah. an intense little shark tank here. Yeah. Um, so it's about doing the things that separate yourself and and elevating yourself relative to your peers. And, you know, I had the flexibility in my schedule to do that. But it was uh, it was very important, especially as I began to realize in those early 2000s, you know, it was the. Uh, the rising tide of mass affluence, you know, that began in the eighties, you were now having people with three, four and five homes. So Sotheby's was a name familiar to them, whether they mm-hmm. were in Greenwich, Connecticut, Palm beach, you know, out in Santa Barbara, Montecito, mm-hmm. they were, that was a familiar brand to them. So when they were landing here in Telluride and they were looking to select a real estate uh, broker to represent them, you wanted to be that person that was, you know, that was one in the same with that brand that they already felt comfortable with. So I was very, it was very important through print marketing and digital marketing to uh, make sure that your presence um, and the way you represented properties aligned with their expectations of Sotheby's. Which you've done a beautiful job of, by the way. So tell us about, because the next question I was going to say, in such a competitive market where over 10% of the people in the population are licensed real estate agents. What do you, which I already know the answer, but tell us when you were already going there, but what, what do you do? Or tell us about this magazine is really where I'm going with us, but what do you, and other things too, to stand out above that competition? Well, that is an important consideration. I think a lot of people who are in the business, you know, one of the challenges I faced when I got into the industry here was that a lot of people had moved here. I mean, they were in the real estate industry and many of us faced this battle. They were in the real estate industry when I was in kindergarten and they helped build this resort and they were very established. So my biggest competitors were already in the game. People were like, there's not even enough room. There's no room for any more real estate uh, professionals around here. So I knew I need to do something different. Um, so I always focused on quality, you know, imagery was critical for me. I knew that, you know, before there was digital imagery, you had to pay a lot more for it. But I, I wanted to make sure that every single thing that left our office was high quality and that people, um, when we were representing their property, it was how they saw their property. You know, agents were notorious at that time for, you know, just driving by a property and snapping a photo and, you know, they bring it online sometimes with no photos, sometimes two or three. I always felt it was important to position. But one of the things getting back to what you were leading up to was Mm -hmm. I always um, spent a portion. I committed a portion of what I earned from any sale to marketing. And I kept rolling money back into marketing in a way that probably would have been tougher for a lot of my competitors with a growing family or something. But I was able to do that because of my age and I was single at the time. And, and I was able to, um, what I decided was I need something to separate me even more. So Mm -hmm. I created my own, uh, my own dedicated magazine um, yeah, everybody else was, was 
you know, putting ads in individual magazines and competing with each other within that magazine. So I figured I'm going to create my own proprietary magazine that features, you know, what I see the market as and the quality of imagery and the look and the feel and the statistics. And then I think things that were engaging. And so I, I would say I'm probably on maybe the 25th volume of that magazine. Mm -hmm. But what I did was create a, a multi-page. It's now up to about 52 pages. And I distributed it as an insert within the local newspaper, as opposed to a lot of places uh, where people began pulling away from print. I leaned into it, created mm -hmm. this magazine, put it as an insert every Friday and Saturday in our paper. And it was a takeaway. And I mean, it was much to the chagrin. My competitors hated it. They still hate it. I love it. to hear you talk um, about it. And yeah, it's people awesome. literally will walk into our office and say, I want to be in this magazine. You, you don't know me. I own this big house. I would like to be in this magazine of yours. So it became a lead generation source. It became a branding, you know, a statement of our brand. And um, it really did make it very difficult for a lot of my competitors to um, – to be recognized with Sotheby's in the same, uh, with the mm -hmm. same level of effectiveness as I've been able to. That's huge. That's huge. And so how many, how many years have you been, what year did you start that magazine? Yeah, I was going to say, I would say it was probably 12, 13 years ago. As I said, we're at 25 volumes. So I print anywhere between 30 and 50,000 of those twice annually. So somewhere between 60 and a hundred thousand of those, go in as either inserts to the paper off racks in front of our mm -hmm. office or, or direct mail to agents or clients. And, uh, and then we have an online, a digital version that we post on, you know, social media. Um, but it's been particularly powerful. And, you know, I think, um, you need to look for those opportunities. I think in your business where you can own a space where, where you own the, the vehicle, in which mm -hmm. people get that information. And, um, you know, it, it, candidly, I, I, I refer to it as kind of an arms race. I don't need to compete with the 200. There's only five mm -hmm. or six people who are going to even hope to compete with me in terms of that expense. Mm -hmm. So then they have to be motivated to do it. And well, I see, it's not just an expense. It's a time and effort and creativity and yeah. process. And and well, Ellen Williamson, who's Who's here in the office she's my marketing director she does an incredible job with that um and the two of us both love the creative side i think that's a big part of it too it fulfills a creative uh bent in each of us that we really like to make it better and better i always say you know make sure each thing that leaves your office is better than the last exactly so you really want things to look good you know um exactly. yeah so you such a you you do some really really heavy trends, just really big number of transactions. Um, as far as your volume, um, you've got, so I think you've broken some records on sales prices of homes and properties you've sold and things like that. So elaborate on that at the, is real estate agents, everybody wants to be a luxury real estate agent. And then you get into it and you realize a lot of these properties take a lot of time, money and effort to sell. What is the difference or what is it that you did that there's so many people that have tried to break into that market and they really just kind of gave up or realized it's a lot more than it takes. What's the difference between you and what you've done as far as the actions you've taken and then how you've actually leveraged that action to create success and create sales? 
if that question makes sense. I'm kind of trying to ask you too yeah, many at once, I, but yeah. I, well, I made some conscious decisions when I was, and this kind of is something you asked me before we jumped online about, you know, um, were they, did you ever make a mistake that turned into something else? I don't know if it was a mistake, but I made a conscious decision years ago when I was just getting going. I was, I started being offered these listings that were kind of in our market were, you know, um, under a million dollars, which is, mm-hmm. is the lower end of our market. And I turned them down. Mm-hmm. And I remember somebody saying, you know, some guy, an older guy lectured me, like, you shouldn't do that. You should never turn that, you know, to turn down a piece of business. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to be typecast with this. I know what I want. I know typecast. what I want my business yeah. to look like. I had seen in other markets, even even before luxury became, you know, this huge um, space that people, you know, had had populated. I wanted to always represent the top tier of the market, the highest quality things, the best quality clients. And I was willing to spend my own money to do it. And I was willing to work harder and longer Mm -hmm. and be much more dedicated to insights that maybe my peers didn't do. So um, I, I think focusing, knowing what you want uh, in, in terms of your career, modeling yourself. And this is a very important thing, given what you're doing with these podcasts. Mm-hmm. I always knew who the big brokers were around the United States. Mm-hmm. And so I watched what they were doing in my 20s and early 30s. I, I was like, oh, look at that person and that person. I always knew them even in advance of meeting them. Um, and I knew what I wanted my business to look like. And I think if you kind of have it in the back of your head, um, things begin, you know, we have a way of self, self-actualizing and these things came about. In terms of the nuts and bolts of it, though, I, I dedicate a lot of resources. I've spent a lot of money over the years, certainly more than my peers on imagery, mm-hmm. on video. On, uh, I write my own narrative, but I'm very careful about how a property is represented and positioned. I don't take properties that I think cheapen the portfolio I have. Mm-hmm. I don't take things unless they're a referral. I, I'm very wary about the clients I represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not uh, – listen, I, I don't mean to sound cocky in that way. More that I'm just trying to be judicious. I'm right. trying to I say – I want to represent the best of the best, and I, I don't want to be dragged down by anything. Well, that you're creating and you're creating that environment. You're creating that yeah. environment for yourself and for those clients, and like attracts like. Yeah, I would, I would guess that before you know it, there's no you kind of lose. There's not, or tell me, there's probably not. It probably doesn't happen very often that you're even turning down that much business anymore because you've positioned yourself in such a way that you're attracting. Would that be correct? I mean, in, in my market, yeah, I found that. But. We just turned down. A, we turned down a pretty substantial listing a couple of weeks ago. I I had taken it because I felt it was you know could sell whatever. Mm-hmm. It could be good, well timed. We went up. I met with the photographers. We shot it. I discussed it with uh, with my team here, and the conclusion was, you know what, that just really doesn't fit mm-hmm. who I am or who we are, and we turned it down. And, you know, the seller was disappointed and went and listed with one of our competitors. But I was OK with it because it just didn't fit right with with kind of the profile business we've always adhered to. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say I'd rather do less business with great people than more business with with bad people. And that's a conscious decision, you know, because I think you end up um, those clients that you choose to align yourself with. 
end up their friends become referrals. Exactly. And you get some sort of toxic personality. You're exactly right. Well, the time that they take from your valuable clients. Yeah. You know, I forget, I'm sure you get the telemarketing calls and somebody said to me, Tom, what if your name came up every time somebody Googled Atlanta real estate and you got all the calls? I said, that would be a disservice to my clients. That's not what that would just be a disservice because we don't want them all. We just we want the good ones and the best ones and the ones that we deliver value to from like you talked into earlier. What is our what is our expertise? What do we specialize in? What market do we own? Where do we really offer value? And those people start coming to us when we provide that value. The phone's ringing as opposed to creating this model where we we all have to think we have to chase down business every day, which that magazine has really done that for you as well. Well, yeah, again, get, getting back to that magazine, that, that was really something that has set us apart and we have done again and again consistently, always trying to refine it. Um, you know, moving forward, I've been having some pretty interesting discussions with agents and industry people about the direction of the business. And I think you have to just make sure you remain relevant and you and the information you provide people is proprietary mm-hmm. and is of a quality that they can't get someplace else mm-hmm. because if, if everything is commoditized and everything can be found via algorithm, our business will become diminished. So mm-hmm. you have to, you have to do things in a way that, that are consistent. They, you're, you're known for that. I mean, a magazine doesn't sound particularly far reaching, you know, in terms of vision, but I'll tell you, What's interesting about creating great print mm-hmm. in small niche markets, resort markets, as opposed to a big, you know, you're in Miami or something. Right. We, it's almost a novelty to pick up exactly. the newspaper on vacation. So that magazine, we wanted the imagery to be so dramatic that it becomes representative of how these people see this place. So they take it with them. I mean, we even have reshaped it. So it's, it's a takeaway piece. And I've had calls from people in the past. I remember I had a woman call me from South Carolina a couple of years ago, said, you know, Bill, I was there visiting and I loved it. I loved it. Right. There. Can you, so she asked, you know, can you send me eight more of those magazines? They were so beautiful. The images I've given them to all my friends because it seems to really tell the story of that place we visited. Yeah. And, you know, we live in a particularly dramatic setting, but it was um, it told me the story, it, 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 you know, kind of reaffirmed what we've heard many times, which is that even in a world where people are moving more and more towards digital media, there's a place for print. Well, and it, to me, it makes the things that they can touch and feel that much more valuable because mm-hmm. there's so much in media that if you've got the key print items that tell a story and that kind of are nostalgic like yours, it, it does, yeah. it, 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 it's actually more valuable. So something else I wanted, I, I always think about the story you told me, I find, and maybe it, it maybe, maybe not in the Atlanta market often, we're in a market where the average sales price is 240,000. Now in Buckhead, it's more like a million in Brookhaven, it's more like half a million. But it, but those are the two top selling markets in our in where we live. So I find that Sometimes I'll call an agent or an agent will call and you're like, hey, what's the list price on that? And they're like, well, it's uh, 3900000 Like They kind of ask me what the list price is. And it's like, what? Like, be, and you gave the greatest story 
um, if you can remember it, we didn't talk about this, but you were telling, talking about when you were working, I think it was in Martha's Vineyard. And mm. when you're working with people of affluence, they're there. And I, I tell this even to my clients, like you, you earned your way here. You have this money to spend it where you like. And people want to know the price, and you don't need to be afraid of it. But you gave you. I'm not articulating this well, story, do, but do you remember? I, I want you to share that story with us because it's such a story. message, just for you know what, was, agents selling properties. Message. Yeah, I remember well. So uh, you know, the background was I worked for this at this Relay and Chateau Hotel, the Charlotte Inn, and Martha's Vineyard in Edgartown. It was an amazing place. And again, yeah. I grew up a middle class kid, upper middle class, and. This was this was a place, you know, where room rates were a thousand dollars a night in the late 80s. I mean, it was it was way beyond the pale. And, um, you know, it gave me a comfort level dealing with a clientele that that I was always maybe a bit intimidated by. Uh But the seller pulled me aside one day. I remember I got a phone call. Somebody called in. Uh, and I happened to be behind the front desk and I picked up and they, and they wanted to stay in the, in the finest suite in the whole property it was above this coach house, this beautiful coach house mm-hmm. at the back of the property. And, um, and it was already over a thousand dollars a night back then. And the gentleman, I remember he was from uh, Cincinnati, I believe. And he, he asked, he said, well, I, I'm interested in booking that next, next year. I'd like to stay there for three weeks. And I was like, uh, <laughs> that, that, that that, that that's re- really expensive. I mean, I was like fumbling, you know, I was yeah. intimidated by, by even telling them what the cost was. And, um, and I remember I, uh, you know, I kind of navigated the call and took down his info and said, we'd get back to him. And I hung up the phone and the owner, who's a remarkable guy and taught me so many timeless lessons like yeah. this, called me over to his desk and said, Bill, sit down. He said, I was listening to you on the call. And he said, um, I could hear that you were, you know, you were uh, hesitating, telling that gentleman about, you know, the cost. And I said, yeah, I mean, it was really expensive. And he said, let me let me tell you something. He goes, yeah. he goes, never mess around when discussing uh, what something costs, whether it's ten dollars or ten million. The people who are interested in it are going to be comfortable with that. They know what this stuff costs and you're not going to scare them off if they have the appetite and the resources for that. And I was like, wow, you know, that's that, okay. So I just started practicing it. You know, somebody call, oh, what's that cost? What's that painting cost in our gallery? Oh, that's $20,000. You know, it's that a, would, yeah. my, both my parents would be rolling in their grave now hearing these conversations because that's not how we grew up, you know? And, um, and I, I've used it many times since and throughout the course of time, you know, somebody calls me and says, okay, what's that house cost? That house is listed for $29 million. And I don't exactly. mess around with it. I don't really have And I think it's a really powerful thing. And yeah, I can remember the first transaction I did over $3 million, which was a big deal. I think I was, I think I was probably 30 years old. And I was having the conversation out on the hood of, uh, of my car. I had some paper there and we were making some notes. And this guy said, okay, well, I want to make an offer. What do you think I should offer? And the place was listed for three, five. And I was like, I think you should offer three one. And he said, okay, full speed ahead. And I had to kind of fake it till I made it. Cause I was intimidated by that figure. You know, yeah. I, was, I was doing lesser price things up until that point. So, um, it's been a great lesson for me in my career. Don't mess around, tell people what things cost. Don't, um, just what they're looking for from us is candor. And exactly. hey, this is 
So well this said. Coming to you for advice. Tell me what this, you know, what do, what do I do here? And so well, if we find yeah. the bush, we, we do them a disservice. Well, I was to say so much of our value is in how we present the property. And it's fun to watch. It's fun. And it's, sometimes it's, it's just all telling when you're showing properties and just watching the different real estate agents and how they present it. And I find that the really successful real estate agents, mm-hmm. it's fun to talk, you know, they enjoy talking about the price. The numbers are fun to talk about. And the ones that it's, you can tell it's their first or second, and they start getting a lot of questions about the comps and the other houses. And the, the, it's kind of like, well, huh? And they start repeating themselves and saying the same thing. And they don't really have mm-hmm. an explanation. And it's like, no, this is a one of a kind special property. It is mm-hmm. what it is. And it's a, it's, they're happy to be where they are in life to be able to make that purchase. And that's how it should be presented and handled as opposed to the opposite. Because now as or the buyer's agent, I've got you under my thumb and we're going to have fun getting a good deal. So, yep. And I, I also think, you know, clients, uh, sense that hesitancy just as they sense desperation, you mm-hmm. know, there's certain undercurrents of unspoken, uh, communication that are happening in any discussion like that. And I think if you, if somebody starts getting, um, you know, any kind of anxiety, the undercurrent of it, um, you know, telegraphs its way mm-hmm. to clients. And I think, well, you and know, it can, it can often make a buyer less confident in a purchase. You know, I've had, that's it. That's what I'm saying. Right, if you don't right. speak conviction, I'll tell you, Suzanne Perkins, who you've met, yes. Suzanne's a phenomenal, she's an icon of real estate out of Santa Barbara, Montecito, who I work with when I'm out there. And uh, Suzanne is probably the best I've ever met at just telling it like it is. I mean, she, she will, you know, she just lives and dies by, by just straight talk. And she will tell you what, what she thinks of something, what she doesn't like, what she does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people can't stomach that. Um, but most people that are seeking advice um, from her, whether on whether she's representing them or, or say a seller or a buyer on the other side of a transaction, they admire her candor. And mm-hmm. so I've tried to incorporate that, that in my own business. And just because I really believe it's what the clients in a world where there's more and more and more information online that they can research and gather before they discuss, what do we really bring to the table? We bring insight, expertise, you know, background knowledge that they're unaware of negotiating skills. Mm -hmm. And if you don't present those in a very um, forthright manner, um, the client isn't getting what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's our job. Exactly. So I've got a few little I say a few, sometimes my few turn into 10, but I've got about three questions for you to help us wrap things up. One is, if there's one thing you wish you knew coming into this business that you know now, what would it be? One thing I wish I knew. Um, I think, oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I think... Um, I probably wouldn't worry um, as much about what some people thought, what some of my peers thought. I used to worry more about making waves or doing this. And I think I would be, I I think I probably would have just, I tend to march to my own drum a little bit, but I think I would have done it 
much more dramatically earlier on. So you've met, you've made waves anyway, big ones, lots of waves, lots of waves. But you know what? Listen, I I think if you're, you know, it means you're doing things. It means you're having a fact. It means you're, you're stirring up the debate around things. Um, but I think, I, you know, I was I, I was I think I tried to please a lot of people. And I, I once I let go of that, mm-hmm. I think um, I, I did a better job serving myself and my clients. So on the ne- on the topic of making waves, what's a what's a good wave story? What's one of your favorite or biggest waves you've made in the business? Ooh. Well, um, I'll tell you, I. I I remember, I remember securing this first very large listing for the Telluride area from somebody who had been very established, and I was kind of just coming on the scene. And I went and I interviewed against all these um, very established agents who'd been in the business longer than I. And you know, I've always, I always I spend a lot of time on the macro issues, um, meaning the economy what's going on in, in market feeder markets, bellwether markets. And, and I, I won over this guy who was a very established guy in this, in this region. And he gave me a chance. And, um, I got this listing that people thought was, you know, I think it was listed for 14 million at the time. And it, it had been featured on the view as the best view in America and all this. Anyway, I, um, Everybody was like, oh, he's no, the kid's never going to sell this, blah, blah, blah. And I brought in my own buyer, um, and he paid $12 million for two-week uh, two cash close at a time where that just wasn't happening. That's and awesome. I think it was a good story in the sense that I followed my gut on that because I really believed that it could sell. It just needed to be introduced to the right people. And um, that made a lot of waves. Um you know, I've taken some contrarian positions on some some uh, some things in the towns, uh, you know, in in town government government and town policy that maybe didn't make me popular at the time, but have proved right. You know, land use stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that that those are the things. I think you just gotta, you know, stick to your guns on on some things. Oh, that's that a basic, really, yeah. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to do yeah, the big stuff and the big ideas. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you make waves every time you sell something that people say can't be sold. I, oh, I how love fun that. is that? Yeah, that to, that to me is like my favorite thing. What's you know, your when biggest? Somebody, what's your biggest aha? Maybe it was selling some of that stuff, but what's been your biggest aha about this business coming into it? I say coming um, into it. I mean, over the over your career. Well, that all things considered, no matter at no matter what level people are, it remains a highly emotional business. Somebody, a man or woman who's incredibly sophisticated and hyper analytical in different areas of their life. And when it comes to real estate, it can be, it can remain a very emotional well, resident, thing. Your home, residential, residential real estate. Yeah. 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 Residential real estate. I mean, it, well, or, or not even, not only that it's just your home frequently, because these are primarily, you know, 90% of the things I handle are, are second, third, fourth homes. But that you have to tell somebody it's okay to make that decision sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like they've got the money, they, they, the timing is good, everything. And you have to say, hey, listen, you know, these are the fruits of labor. You know, that, what, did, yes. what did you spend working for? Exactly. This seems like something you like. Do you yeah. want to, if you want it and you like it, let's make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of people 
get scared of that. I, I think a lot of people get scared of being very candid with their clients. Um, but that's I what they need. That's what they're paying us for. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. I think I spend a lot of time researching clients before I meet them. Um, whether, even if I'm on the other side of it, I try to really understand if someone's a corporate attorney or somebody's a, you know, a, a international tax attorney or, or if they're a trader. I try to understand what industry they're in so I have a good sense of how they might negotiate. Mm-hmm. It's certainly knowing a lot about them, their background, their kids. Um, you know, has helped me a great deal in terms of winning listings, but also in the sales process of what might be their hot buttons, what might be, you know, their, their drop dead point. Mm -hmm. Negotiating Um, style. Look at everybody that interviewed for this show has been, is really accomplished. Many of them far more accomplished than I, but I think that what we do share is that passion for the industry. Um, and the natural curiosity around the people who are in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a, I, I think another thing that I found in this biz is that people are, um, in our market, everybody's a success story. Everybody's been good at something, whether, you know, somewhere in their life, they've made yeah. great decisions. Maybe their grandfather made great decisions, but they, they have, uh, they experience life at a high level of success and it's fun to hear those stories and be part of it, you know? So somebody drops you in Telluride, or maybe we'll even make a new market in New York City. Answer this however you want. You don't know a soul. You don't know the market. You've got $200 and a phone and food and shelter. What are you going to do to be a successful real estate agent? Oh, that's a good question. Um I would try to get an introduction. I would call my clients who knew the most influential people. You don't have in any area. clients, remember? You don't have any clients. You don't know anybody. Okay, you know what? I would probably, uh, I'm not a drinker, so my 200 bucks would go pretty far, but I, I would probably go uh, belly up at the best restaurant and club and uh, and start getting to know people. Yeah. And, and finding out a little bit about them, or um, you know, I loved what you what you did to get yourself going. You know, um, yeah. host people. Um, but I think I just weighed into I'd find <laughs> the best and the best restaurant, and I would go in there and sit down and start meeting people and and talk my way out of it. It's a relationship business, exactly. Mm. All right, what do you do? You use a CRM, and if so, which one? Or which one no, is your favorite? I mean, not not particularly well. I wish I could say that we were more efficient. I mean, we use we we continue to use Outlook and and we don't we don't do things at the level. You know, we do, it's interesting. We don't we don't do a lot of transactions here mm-hmm. on an annual basis. So so we we have like a pretty good understanding of who our clients are, what our database mm-hmm. say we have say we have uh, 3,500 people in our database, we use, you know, Outlook and Resora uh, and then direct uh, direct mail pieces to communicate with them. Well, and, and then, you know. And every, you'd be surprised, kind of, I asked that question and you'd be surprised at at least half the agents and some big producing agents are using Google Docs, which is basically Excel. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what I've found, um, you know, I, I have just over the years, I still believe in 
the power of relationships and using the phone and calling people. I think emails, you know, certainly texts have changed the world. I mean, I'm, our clients skew slightly older too. I know there's a, there's an emerging demographic of millennials who are buying. Certainly if you're in places like San Francisco and Seattle, Mm -hmm. we continue to have people in their mid forties to their early seventies. So the, uh, you know, the whole scale of baby boomers and they continue to communicate, you know, email, text, um, phone and FedEx is, Mm -hmm. is how we do it, you know? Um, and they, uh, and, and, you know, the, the systems we've, we've used today work. So you haven't felt the need. Exactly. So last question, what for everyone listening to this, what is, if there's one thing that you want us to take from this interview, what would that be? Um, that's a great question. I would say, um, find that part of the business that really resonates with you emotionally. For example, for me, it's the creative and the marketing side of it. And play to your strengths and hire to your weaknesses. Um, play to yeah. your strengths and hire to your weaknesses. Love yeah. that. Yeah. I would say that's it. You know, I'm never going to get any awards for math or physics, but I, I, I do for creativity and relationships. Now you finish the statement. I'm finishing it for you. Go ahead. What was that? I said, yeah, I was finishing the statement. You said, I don't want to get any rewards for mathematics or I forgot what the other one was. And then I finished it for you in physics. But, and then I said, but you would for relationship building and creativity. Yeah. Well, that's it. I, you know, and, and don't sit, get out in the world and go meet people, you know, sitting on the end of the dock, waiting for a fish to come swim up to your line is, is not, is not the future of this business. And it's certainly not, it's going to make you highly replaceable, uh, in a world where, uh, technology is shifting underneath our feet. Awesome. You know? So well said. Bill, thank you so much. It's been awesome having okay, you. Great to talk to you, Jerry. Talk to you I appreciate soon. it. And uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. You and, too. and best to uh, everybody out there. See you soon.